Um, it is 1 p.m. So I just wanted to uh, once again um, welcome everyone uh, to Drisha. It's so good to have you with us. Um, this is the first class in the series on Shemitah in the Mishnah, Challenges and Opportunities. Uh, we, again, we encourage you to uh, turn on your video if you are able to. Uh, we understand if you can, but it is really nice to be able to uh, see faces when you teach. Uh, also, um, as always, feel free to ask questions or uh, make comments. Uh, you can write them down in the chat box here on Zoom, or you can unmute and ask questions. Uh, if you're watching us live on Facebook, of course, you can uh, comment there as well um, or ask questions. Uh, this class will undertake the close study of Mishnayoche Vi'it Belyun, uh, working through Masechta with a focus on literally and conceptual issues. Today's class will aim to cover chapters one uh, uh, through three, resting the land timeline and operations. It's my pleasure to introduce Rabbi Avram Wolfish, uh, goes by Avi. Uh, uh, he's a retired teacher of Talmudic literature and rabbinic thought, and was recently appointed as head of Halachic Beit Midrash of Beit Elal Rabbinical Organization. At Yeshiva University, he completed his BA in philosophy while studying Talmud with Rav Aaron uh, Lichtenstein and Rabbi Joseph B. Solvejic. After making Aliyah, he received his rabbinic ordination from uh, Rabbi Zalman Nehemiah Goldberg and completed his um, MA and PhD at Hebrew University, writing his uh, dis dissertation on literary features of Mishnah. Um, he has also taught and lectured in many frameworks in, in Israel and abroad, including Herzl College, Michlala, um, Pardes Institute, Bar Ilan University, and Drisha. His extensive uh, publications in different uh, areas of Jewish studies include the Yun Mishnah website and a commentary on Mishnah Berachot, Mishnaic uh, tapestries. And in 2005, he was awarded the price of the Israeli uh, Minister of Education for creative work in Jewish culture. And with that, I'll turn this uh, to you, Rabbi Wolfish. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, it's a pleasure uh, to be here. Um, my association with Drisha goes back a long way. Um, I'm uh, Rabbi David Silver's brother-in-law, so uh, I, I have accompanied Drisha for many, many years, and it's uh, always a pleasure to teach with Drisha. This is going to be a very challenging uh, class because Masechet uh, Shvi uh, comprises 10 chapters. Uh, 10 chapters of Mishnah and, and not the uh, most popular or, or best known chapters of Mishnah. So to, to uh, somehow get a sense of what's going on in these chapters is, uh, <clears throat> is a, a, a tall order. We're going to be looking at it more from a panoramic viewpoint, looking at uh, overall <clears throat> patterns and structures. and um, Occasionally, since since we can't uh, since we can't uh, uh, deal with overall structures without dealing with details, we'll dive in occasionally. You know, sort of swoop down like a seagull to fish out uh, and flesh out uh, some of the details, so that we'll we'll have a chance to uh, uh, to see how these larger patterns uh, are being are being accomplished. Um, as a result of this uh, method, I think there's going to be an extremely Jewish class, by which I mean uh, Jews traditionally have focused at least as much on questions as on answers. And uh, besides the fact that we're going to wind up with more questions than, than we will have an opportunity to answer, but uh, I think one of the main things that we'll be able to uncover in our study of Masechet uh, Shvi'it is the kinds of questions that Chazal asked. What, what are the kinds of issues that, uh, that concern them? And so um, uh, without further ado, let's uh, dive in and, and we're going to start with some background, okay? In order to understand what Mishnah is doing, it's important to understand uh, what Mishnah is plugging into, what it's responding to. So, of course, we start with the biblical background. Uh, Shemitah appears in the Torah in 
two different places. And by looking at uh, how the Torah presents Shemitah in these two places, uh, we'll, first of all, get some idea of what Shemitah is about uh, in the Torah. And uh, we'll also have an opportunity to see the kinds of questions that, um, that are going to confront Chazal uh, when they put together Tractate Shvit. Okay, so let's look first of all at Shmot Perakav Gimel. The psukim that interest us are the two highlighted psukim in blue, um, but we'll see them in context. Okay, so the immediately preceding pasuk, the Gerlo Tilchatz, Vatem Yidatem et Nefesh Ager, Kigerim Eitem, Beres Mitzrayim, not to oppress the stranger or alien resident. Then we have the Psukim of Shemitah, and afterwards we have Shabbat, Pasuk Yud Bet. Sheshet Yamim Tasem Asechov, Ayom Hashvi'i Tishbot, Teman Yanuach, Shorchava Hamorecha, Yinafesh, Ben Amatcha, Vahagem. Okay, so uh, we have the laws of Shabbat. It's interesting to see how the Torah presents the laws of Shabbat in this one Pasuk. Uh, what is Shabbat designed for? In order that your uh, domestic animals, as well as your servants, as well as the ger, the same ger that we had back in Pasuk Tet, okay, the non-Jewish residents of the land, okay, in order that they may, may be able to rest. But Shabbat is presented here uh, with a strong emphasis on equality. First of all, social equality. Okay, Shabbat equalizes the, uh, the uh, uh, citizen, the, the master, with all other members of society. On Shabbat, they're all equal. Okay, and even with the animal kingdom. Okay, the animals are also supposed to rest. That, that's how Shabbat is presented. Okay, so now, we can already imagine that Shemitah is going to be presented in a way that will correspond to this emphasis on equality, okay, on, on, on social uh, equalizing, okay, and, um, and that there will be a, a connection between Shemitah and Shabbat. Of course, there's an obvious connection with the number seven, but we'll, we'll develop this more a little later. The Sheish Shanim. Now we'll look at the Psukim of Shemitah, Veshishanim Tizra et Tvuata. Okay, six years you shall sow the land and gather its produce. Vashvi'i Tishmetana Unitashta. The seventh year you shall abandon it. That's what the word Shemitah literally means, okay, to let go of something, to abandon it. Shall abandon it. Okay, and the poor of your nation shall eat it. The Yitram, and what is, what's left over, tochal chayat hasadeh. Okay, what is left over shall be eaten by the beasts of the field. So this is not only for fields, this is also for vineyards, okay, and for uh, olive orchards, okay. And these are the three staples of the Biblical diet, okay, daganti roshvi yitzhar, okay, that, uh, okay, so uh, uh, all of these are, are going to have the same fate. Now, it's interesting to note that the Torah doesn't expi explicitly say that you're not supposed to work the land during the Shemitah. It says for six years you will sow the land and you will gather the produce. The seventh year, what you're supposed to do is abandon the produce. Now, can I sow the land? It doesn't exactly say whether I can sow the land. We can imagine if, if you're not able to gather the produce, so presumably you're also not, not sowing the land, but the emphasis seems to be on the produce rather than on the land. And the reason the produce is so central is because it's supposed to be left for the poor and for the beasts of the field. Because again, we're talking about something that is a great social leveler. OK, 
okay, not only among human beings, but even with animals, and in this case, even the beasts of the field on Shabbat, the animals that rest are the animals that are domestic, okay, that are under human control. Here, does does that include that. the slaves? Does that include the slaves that work for you? Would the slave, uh, uh, you're talking about Shemitah, presumably right. yes. Yeah, right. presumably but yes. Equality. Mm -hmm. That's right. In other words, if, if you're abandoning it and and you're letting the poor wander into your field and, and consume the produce, and if you're even letting the beasts of the field, the, or the beasts of the wild, so then this case means the wild, the, letting the wild beasts roam through, roam through your field. So it, it, it stands to reason that, uh, you know, any member of your household, including the, including the slaves, uh, would, would, uh, would be allowed to do that as well. Okay, so that's how Shemitah is presented here. Okay, it's, it's very sketchy in terms of the do's and the don'ts. Okay, but the one main do is that the produce is open basically to everybody. Okay, now let's look at uh, towards the end of Ayikra, Ayikra Parakafe, we have a somewhat more elaborate presentation of Shemitah. It's not only more elaborate, okay, the emphases are somewhat different. By Daver Hashem el Moshe, Bahar Sinai Lemor. This, of course, is the famous question in the, from the Midrash cited by Rashi. Why is Har Sinai mentioned at this juncture of the Torah? But that's not our concern for now. When you come to the land that I am giving you. So we already have a new idea here, and that is that this mitzvah has to do with the land that God is giving us. We didn't have that emphasis uh, back in Shemot. A very striking uh, anthropomorphic expression. The land shall rest a Shabbat Lashem. Shabbat Lashem is a term that elsewhere appears in relation to Shabbat. Okay, and here we have another Shabbat. So here the, the connection between Shemitah and Shabbat is really underscored, okay? But who is supposed to rest? The land. That's interesting. It doesn't say the farmer is supposed to rest. And, and as we'll see, farmer actually can be quite busy, okay? There's, just to take a simple example, if the farmer wants to take off the Shemitah year and moonlight as a tailor, taxi driver, truck driver, computer programmer or heaven only knows what, no problem. You, you can do whatever, you can work your tail off during the Shemitah year. Okay, the one who is supposed to rest during the Shemitah year is the land. Now, what does it mean for the land to rest? That we'll have to see in the ensuing psukim. Okay, now this sounds very reminiscent of the first pasuk. In, in, in Shmod, it just adds uh, the, the kerem to the sadeh, but it's basically the same idea. But now the second pasuk is much more elaborate. It shall be not just a Shabbat, but a Shabbat of Shabbat, a Shabbat of Shabbat, Shabbat Shabbaton, Yelaret, a Shabbat Lashem. Okay, you shall not sow your field and you shall not prune your, your, uh, your vineyards because pruning the vines stimulates growth. That's the equivalent in a vineyard of, of planting. Okay, the, the wild growing uh, plants uh, you shall not kotzer. Now, kotzer literally means harvest. Okay, now well, what does it actually mean? You can't harvest it. We're going to see in Ezoim Psukim, as we saw in Shmot, that you can enjoy the produce of the, of the land. So what does it mean not to harvest? Like Chazal understand this, and I think it's the only reasonable explanation is normally when you harvest, you don't just gather in 
a small amount, okay? Harvesting is done en masse, okay? You, you, you harvest the entire crop. You take a large field, you harvest the entire crop, and then you gather it together. Usually you store it in, 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 in a storehouse of some sort after it's undergone some sort of processing, okay? That's what you can't do during the Shemitah year. Okay, and similarly at the Invenizirecha, the 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 um, uh, the grapes of the vineyard, you you also cannot gather in the regular manner. Shnat Shabbaton Yelets, and this is what it means to be a Shnat Shabbaton. So here there are two aspects to what it means to be a Shnat Shabbaton. A Shnat Shabbaton for the land means first of all not to sow the land to stimulate growth, and secondly, not to gather the produce in the normal fashion, okay? And this basically allows the land to rest, a rest on behalf of God, a rest for God, okay? We'll talk a bit about what that means in a, in a little while. The Shabbat of the land shall be for you for consumption. All of the weaker segments of the population okay, are equal with you in being able to benefit. Okay? For your domestic animals and the wild beasts in your land. Okay? So all of the produce shall be for consumption. Okay? This last uh, uh, phrase, okay, uh, I'll just, we'll take a little look at this point at one of the ideas that Chazal understood in this Pasuk. They understood that uh, human beings are allowed to benefit from the produce in the field only as long as it is available to the wild beasts. When the wild beasts are able to roam around your field and take produce, then human beings can benefit. In other words, you can't, if you have stored up some of the Shemitah produce, not supposed to harvest it en masse, but I've gathered a little bit here, a little bit there, okay? And I gathered enough so I can put it away in my cupboard and, 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 and save it for several weeks, okay? Uh, I'm allowed to benefit from that as long as the beasts can roam around in the field and benefit. But if they can't find it there, then I have to remove it from my cupboard as well. And what exactly that means, we'll discuss when we get to the uh, the, the later portion of Masech and Shemit. Okay, but but that's already one of the one of the points that 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 Chazal that Chazal uh, uh, Chazal pick up on. Okay, the next psukim talk about how uh, this is a very difficult mitzvah to perform. Okay, and uh, in Pasuk Kaf, for example, it's going to be a bad year because we, you know, the, the land is going to produce much less. What, what, what are we going to be able to consume during that year? So if you observe Shemitah, then you will enjoy a divine blessing during the sixth year. And during the sixth year, it will produce enough produce for three years, for the sixth year itself, for the seventh year. But since you haven't gathered normally during the seventh year, you're also going to need, normally, the produce of one year lasts into the following year. Okay, and so the seventh year produce will have to last into the eighth year as well. So the sixth year will have to produce enough to, to support you for three years. Okay, uh, and now I skipped the Pasuk to something that's actually related to Yovel. The Yovel is mentioned in this connection, the Jubilee year. Okay, but, but there's a very important Pasuk that reflects on Shemitah as well that, that, that we should bring. The land cannot be sold in perpetuity. Okay, in other words, that's part of the Oveil idea. When you sell uh, land, then it returns to you during the Jubilee year. Kili because the land belongs to me, says God. 
You are not really the owners of the land. Okay, you are sojourners. You are sojourners on my land. Okay, now it's God. Okay, even though for six out of seven years, God allows us to treat the land as though it were ours. And for 49 out of 50 years, he allows us to sell the land as though it truly belonged to us. But every seventh year and every 50th year, God reminds us that we are not really the owners of the land. And this, of course, suggests very strongly that we're talking about the land of Israel. And, and that was This very special land, the land of Israel, is a land that belongs to God. And even when he gives us control over it, he is, uh, in a sense, appointing us custodians over the land more than he is granting us actual ownership of the land. And Shemitah is an, is an expression of that. So to let the land rest every seventh year is a way basically of acknowledging that the land doesn't truly belong to us. It sort of belongs to us, but every seventh year we remind ourselves that, yeah, that, that there's a deep truth yeah, that the land, the land of Israel really does not fully belong to us because it continues to belong to God. Okay, and I think that also explains this notion of Shabbat Lashem, of the land resting and, 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 and of Shabbat Lashem. So even though we have the idea of social leveling that's repeated in Vayikra, but the focus is, is very different. Okay, if the focus in Vayikra was social, was Ben Adam Lachavero, the, uh, in Shemot rather, was, uh, was social, Ben Adam Lachavero, the focus in Vayikra is on Ben Adam Lamakom. And the social aspect of it is a kind of outgrowth of the fact that we are not really the owners. And therefore, if we're not really the owners, so then every seventh year we can't exercise control. God says, look, as long as you're exercising control and preventing others from enjoying it, you're acting like an owner. Every seventh year, stop being the owner. It reverts back to being my owner. There are commentators who have noted quite accurately that there are overtones here or undertones here of Gan Eden, okay, of, of the Shemitah year treating Eretz Yisrael like Gan Eden. Gan Eden, okay, man didn't own Gan Eden, okay, and man's intercourse with animals and with other human beings was not one of control or ownership. And Eretz Israel during the Shemitah year becomes a kind of uh, throwback to Gan Eden, because Eretz Israel is in a certain sense, you know, a, a way of translating Gan Eden into reality. There's already a way of saying that Shemitah is a rather utopian idea. But when we get to the Mishnah, we'll say the Mishnah is keenly aware of the fact that uh, uh, Shemitah, more than perhaps any other area of halakha, is, a, uh, uh, is an area where there's a huge gap between what the halakha seems to demand and what people are actually able to carry out in practice. Okay, And, and a good part of Masechet Shemit will be devoted to that. Okay? Now, some of the other issues that are going to concern uh, that we could imagine would concern Chazal would be um, um, when we say the land is resting, it's presented in a very minimalistic fashion. Okay, don't plant or foster growth. Also, don't, uh, uh, don't uh, harvest in the normal fashion. What about other kinds of work? Okay, the, uh, if you ask a farmer, his main work is not the planting. Okay, that's a very small portion of his work. Okay, what he has to do a lot of things before you get to the planting, right? You have to prepare the ground for the planting. You have to uh, plow the land. Okay, then after the planting, you have to water, you have to fertilize. Okay, you have to do all kinds of activities to, uh, of maintenance for the plant. You have to protect it from pests. You have to... Uh, 
Okay, if it gets injured, you have to repair. What about all those kinds of work? Torah doesn't say a word about them. Okay, the Torah mentions only don't plant or prune vines, don't harvest in the normal way. Okay, um, what else is involved in this Shabbat Ha'aret? Not clear. And and uh, one of the main functions of Mishnah is to take these kinds of ideas that are presented in a somewhat vague fashion in the Torah and to flesh them out, okay? To translate them into language of practice, to translate them into language of halakha. Okay, the Torah is not talking the language of halakha. The Torah is sketching, okay, like a, an overall plan, okay? And the Mishnah will have to take that overall plan and flesh it out and say, you can do this, you can't do that, okay? So that's one of the things we can expect Mishnah to do. Now, having said that, okay, let's just do a little exercise before we dive into the Mishnah itself and, and ask ourselves, okay, let's imagine, okay, each one of us uh, sitting here, each one of us is Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, okay, who wants to compose the Mishnah. Now, of course, he's not composing the Mishnah, he's compiling the Mishnah from uh, other sources, okay, we'll just use him as a, you know, as a uh, uh, convenient figure on which to hang the question, okay? What do you imagine would be the, the kinds of topics which you would want to discuss at the beginning of Masechet Shvit? I'm devoting a Masechet to this law that appears in two places in the Torah, okay? So how would I want to start it? How would I want to open the discussion? So that the person who is learning my book okay, will, will, know, will, will, will understand what this topic is, what it's about, what its details are, and so on. Okay, thoughts? Uh, when does it start? When does okay. the year start? Mm -hmm. Okay, when does Shemitah start? Okay, uh, that actually is discussed uh, elsewhere in the Mishnah. Okay. Uh, Masechet Rosh Hashanah mentions that at the beginning. Uh, one of the four Rosh Hashanah listed at the beginning of Masechet Rosh Hashanah is the day we call Rosh Hashanah, which is Aleph B'Tishrei. And the Mishnah there identifies Aleph B'Tishrei as the beginning of Shemitah, but you're absolutely right. That, that would be very logical to put into the, the, the beginning of our Masechet. What else? Chana, yes. It's a positive mitzvah in the Torah? Uh, okay, yes, there certainly is a positive mitzvah in the Torah. Okay, Tishmetena Unitashta are two positive mitzvahs. Shavtar and Shabbat Hashem is arguably a positive mitzvah. So you might want to identify which mitzvahs are there, positive as well as negative. Yes, Anna. I'm wondering, I don't know if this is what you're going for. I'm wondering how it applies to the poor who don't own fields, who, who basically, it would seem to me that this whole structure would work to their detriment because, you know, like how, I mean, it, it can apply only to landowners, presumably. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So uh, you're right that the part of Shemitah that, that uh, addresses not working the land, that applies to the landowners. Okay, although it would presumably apply to uh, people who might want to uh, be his day laborers who, you know, actually carry out the, 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 the heavy labor. Okay, but uh, it would apply primarily, if not exclusively, to the owners. But in terms of benefiting from the produce, so here you could say the poor uh, presumably do benefit. Okay, because even if the land is producing less, but the poor are getting a much higher percentage of whatever the earth is producing than what they do in a normal year. Okay, so if they're losing out because the land is producing less than it normally does, that's probably balanced out and maybe even superseded by the fact that they have free run of the land and they can take whatever they like. Okay, yes. Yeah, just... Uh, I'm just, how does it apply? Because we're not, you know, the whole thing is that we're not allowed to utilize what the land does produce, okay? Um, 
so the, I'm talking about how do the, the Jewish poor fit into this? They are allowed to eat from the Shemitah year? Absolutely, yes. But others are not? Apparently everyone is allowed. The ah. Ger is allowed, the, the Sakhir, the Toshav, the Ger, the, uh, okay, the, uh, and the Evyonei Amecha we had in Shmot. Okay, everybody seems to have free, free run of the land. Okay, so... Uh, uh, it, it seems that everyone can come any including the the animals that uh, you know the domestic and wild animals um okay someone is making noise uh, yeah okay um okay so uh okay so we would want to okay we we, we would want to talk about when it begins okay uh, what, what, what other thing, uh, the mitzvot that are involved in it, what else uh, might we expect uh, to, to talk about? Uh, well, it says kitavo el ha'aras, but does that mean that if we don't live in Eretz Yisrael, do we still have to observe this, like okay, Shabbat? Right. So where, where does Shemitah apply? That would be a, definitely a topic. So the where, the when, the mitzvot, that's part of the what. Okay, but I would add one thing to the mitzvot. You know what? Let, let's take a look at someone who did our work for us. Okay, instead of our guessing what we would expect the Mishnah to do, let's look at someone who almost invariably does what we would expect the Mishnah to do, but more often than not, the Mishnah doesn't do it, but he does, and that's the Rambam. Okay, okay, now. Uh, the Rambam, when he codified his Mishneh Torah, now you'll notice the word Mishneh Torah, the name itself is very reminiscent of Mishnah. And that's not by accident. Okay, the Rambam makes it very clear in his introduction to the Mishneh Torah that the Mishneh Torah was modeled on Mishnah. Okay, now it's modeled on Mishnah in many respects. The language is Mishnaic language and, you know, the style is, generally speaking, Mishnaic style. What is very un-Mishnaic, though, is the system of arrangement. The Rambam arranges his Mishnah Torah very differently than the Mishnah, okay? And the Rambam arranges it usually the way, pretty much the way we would expect it to be arranged, okay? And that's not by accident. The, you know, we're, we're all products of Western society. I'm guessing that all of us have academic training. Okay, so the academic training is, you know, all offshoots of the uh, classical philosophy, okay, which by, by, by means of which the Rambam was educated, right? So uh, the Rambam learned from Aristotle how to classify, and that's more or less where we learned it also, you know, through many of the disciples of disciples of disciples of Aristotle. So let's take a look at how Rambam arranges it. Rambam says, Mitzvah taseh lishbot me'avodat ha'aretz v'avodat ha'ilan b'shana ha'shvi'i ne'mar b'shavta ha'aretz shabbat l'ashem. So Rambam starts off with the mitzvah. Okay, the mitzvah taseh. Okay, sh'ne'mar b'charish v'katsir tishmot. And if you do work during that year, you have violated the mitzvah and you have also violated a more. So he mentions the mitzvah lotaseh. Okay? Then the Rambam continues and he details what's included. What about all the other kinds of work that the Torah doesn't mention? So the Rambam calls those toladot. Okay, that's like on Shabbat, you have avot and toladot. Again, Shabbat is a good model for Shemitah. Okay, so, okay, uh, the, the other kinds of work are toladot. Okay, any other kind of prohibited work during Shemitah will be an offshoot, something I conclude. Things that the Torah says I can't do on Shemitah, well, there are other things that are somehow like it. They also prepare the ground for growing or foster growth or are involved in how I uh, 
I take the produce, gather in the produce from the field. So those would all be toladot. Okay? So the Rambam says, for all of those toladot, in other words, there are toladot, that's crucial, crucially important. The Rambam, of course, will list them. I'm just giving you a very brief sketch of what the Rambam presents. All of those, shalonit farshu binyanze enolokalehen, all of the toladot, there are no malkot for that. Okay? In other words, uh, the, you are fully violating the Torah prohibition only when you violate the things spelled out in the language of the Torah. When you violate other kinds of work, so then that's not a full-fledged violation. We can already wonder, does that mean perhaps that there are leniencies? Besides not getting the, the punishment that you get when you violate a Torah prohibition, perhaps there are other leniencies as well for toledot that you don't have for a vote. The Rambam then begins to spell it out. Ketzad. So he gives you some examples. Achofer, if you dig a ditch, or achoresh, you plow the tzorach hakarka, or hamesakel, you remove stones from the land. Or hamesabel, you fertilize, v'chayotzeva nisharvodot haaretz. And similarly, you know, and, and the Rambam goes on. Okay? That sounds very much like the kind of thing we, we would expect, right? Um, let's now um, uh, just briefly mention that there is a tractate. Now, you're already guessing that the tractate is not going to be Masechet Shvit, okay? That's what I'm building up to. I assume some of you guessed that already. Masechet Shvit does not do what the Rambam did does something very different, and we'll see what it is in a bit. But there is another Masechet that's not Masechet Shvit. Masechet Moed Katan. Masechet Moed Katan is about Chol Moed. Moed means Chol Moed. Chol Moed, the Mishnah compares to Shemitah. We'll talk about why in a minute. Okay, and the very first Mishnah in Masechet Moed Katan opens as follows. Mashkin betashlachin bamoed uvashviit. Okay, betashlachin is an irrigated field. Okay, Chazal had fields that were uh, irrigated by directly by rainwater and fields that needed acts of irrigation. So an irrigated field can be watered during cholamoed and also during shemitah. Okay, and then there are details uh, the Mishnah spells out and says, unless it's the sort of irrigation that would require a lot of work, because you can do this work on Cholam Moed, but not work very hard. It's called uh, in Halakha, Tircha Yitera. Can't do Tircha Yitera on Cholam Moed. But if it's not that demanding a job, you're allowed to do that during Cholam Moed and during Shemitah. Now, 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 let's think for a moment about why the Mishnah wants to compare Cholamoid with Shemitah. What Cholamoid and Shemitah have in common, okay, and this sets, sets both of them apart from Shabbat or Yom Tov, is Shabbat and Yom Tov are days when work is prohibited, and all of them are short periods of time, a day. A day at a time, work is prohibited. So I can take a day every week, or Yom Tov you know, comes up a few times during the year, and say, during these days, you can't water your fields, can't water your plants. Okay, that makes sense. But if I'm going to say, don't water your plants on Cholamoed, that's a whole week. Okay, some of those plants are not going to survive, or even if they survive, they'll be seriously damaged. Okay, and so, okay, and so the halacha uh, does not forbid labor with the same severity on Cholamoed as it does uh, on Shabbat or Yom Tov, and all the more so during a Shemitah year. Okay, Shemitah is a whole year. I'm not going to water any of my plants all of Chol uh, all of the Shemitah year. Some of them are certainly not going to survive and. Some of them will be very severely damaged. And therefore, both of them, the prohibition of work is not as thoroughgoing, which already seems to indicate 
that the prohibition of work is playing a different role, both on Cholomoyed and for Shemitah, than it is for Shabbat or Yom Tov. That's the opening of Masechet Moed Katan. And Masechet Moed Katan is talking about one of these toladot that the Rambam mentioned. Irrigation, watering. Another interesting question, the Torah never said, can I water my plants during Shemitah? So here the Mishnah gives us an answer, yes. Certain kinds of watering can be done during Shemitah. The, the Talmud elaborates a bit on the Mishnah's rule and says, irrigation and watering can be done during Shemitah when it's in order to preserve the plant, not when it's in order to foster further growth. Okay, but as long as it's what's called le'ukmeilana, to preserve the tree or to preserve the plant, that's, that's okay. But interestingly, that's basically where the Mishnah directly addresses the question of what the Rambam put right away at the beginning of his discussion, which is what kinds of work can I do during Shemitah? What kinds of work can I not do during Shemitah? Because that's part of the basic essential definition of Shemitah. Okay, you have that in the Rambam, you have a little taste of that at the beginning of Masachet Moed Katan, and again, You've already guessed, you do not have that at the beginning of Masechet Shvi'it. Okay, so let's take a brief look at what goes on. We'll look first at the first two chapters of Masechet Shvi'it. Okay, by the end of the, uh, of, uh, of the class, we will get at least a, a very brief look at the third chapter. Okay, because I promised to deal with the first three chapters. But let's take a, a brief overview of the first two of the first two chapters that really are a unit, okay? And essentially it opens with ad ematai. Now that sounds like something, I think it was Ruth who suggested that we would want to open with when does Shemitah begin, okay? Well, we don't exactly start with that, but we do start with when. When is, is good, but the when is gonna surprise us. Ad ematai choshin ailan erev shvit. Until when, can you plow the land during the sixth year? Sixth year. Well, what's the problem with plowing land during the sixth year? Okay. So the Mishnah is already throwing, a, throwing us a curveball. It's talking about when, but it's already, first of all, the Mishnah, as it so often does, is presupposing a whole area of halakha that didn't appear in the Torah and was not spelled out anywhere prior to the Mishnah. Okay. Nowhere did the Mishnah, no, yeah, we'll see the basis for it later on in this chapter, okay? But again, the Mishnah, instead of starting at the beginning, the Mishnah likes to throw us in in medias race, okay? The Mishnah likes to throw us into the middle of a discussion, okay? So instead of telling us, oh, guess what? There are kinds of work you cannot do already during the 60s. I don't know why not yet, but, but, Instead of telling us that, the Mishnah says, well, until when can you do this particular kind of work during the sixth year? That's how we open. Okay? And we have a machlok at Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel about that. Now, that's the topic that basically takes up the whole first chapter and continues into the second chapter. Okay? So let's just look, you know, I, I, I brought a, some of the text of the Mishnah just so that, you know, those of you who are conversant enough in Hebrew can relate my, you know, my, my uh, headers to, uh, you know, to, to, to some of the content, but we don't, you know, we're getting a panoramic view. We can't really look very much at the details. So the next two Mishnayot, Bet and Gimel, Ilan. How do I define a Sdei Ilan? Well, what, what do I, we said you can plow in a Sdei Ilan until such and such a day. Well, what is a Sdei Ilan? How do I define it? And in Gimel, Echadilan Srak, Vechadilan Machal. Is there a difference between fruit bearing trees and non fruit bearing trees? Mishnah Dalit is the proof text for the preceding halachot. We will look at that in a little more detail in a few minutes. And then the next Mishnah gives us a footnote. What happens if the three trees that you need to define it as a field belong to three different owners. That's an interesting question. Can a field be 
you know, partly owned by one, partly owned by another, we're already beginning to get a sense of something else that the Mishnah will be very concerned with, which is, um, is Shemitah a mitzvah on the individual or on the society? How do people interact with one another during the Shemitah? How do they cooperate with one another in observing Shemitah? That's like the, the, the subtext of this Mishnah. And then the Mishnah has an exception to this rule. We talked about trees. Now they talk about saplings. Eser nitiot mefuzarot betoch Nitiot are saplings. If they're very young trees, so then choshin kol bishvilan ad rosh hashanah. Oh, guess what? We finally got our answer to when Shemitah begins. Okay? Again, so characteristic of the Mishnah. Instead of the Mishnah doing here what it did in Masechet Rosh Hashanah and telling us Shemitah year begins on Aleph B'Tishrei, here the Mishnah signals us, oh, guess what? Rosh Hashanah, which is Aleph B'Tishrei, that's when the sixth year ends and the seventh year begins. Bingo. Now I know when Shemitah begins. But the halacha that concerns the Mishnah here is something else. Okay, the halacha that concerns the Mishnah here is that saplings, you can plow the earth all the way up till Rosh Hashanah, unlike the fruit, uh, the, 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 the uh, trees, okay, the uh, tree field, you could only plow until sometime around Shavuot. Okay, as opposed to Ada Atzeret, okay? But the Mishnah, Comments who Krovin The two of them are saying almost the same thing. Okay? So basically, this whole chapter has revolved around the question of what kind of plowing can I do until when can I plow during the sixth year, leading up to the seventh year? So that depends if it's a tree field, if it's a sapling field, and so on. Okay? And then the, uh, the, the chapter concludes, ad e matai nikru nitiot. Until when are they called nitiot? Now I want you to notice something very interesting about how this chapter is structured. Notice the opening of the chapter is ad e matai, and the closing of the chapter is ad e matai, with two different meanings. Ad e matai, can I do the work? At the beginning of the chapter, are matai at the end of the chapter, are matai until when are they considered to be saplings? But this phrase are matai basically frames the chapter, okay? And that's very characteristic uh, of the Mishnah. Even when the Mishnah seems to be jumping around from one topic to another, you'll very often find that you have these parallels between the beginning and the end. Okay, it's called by scholars inclusio or envelope structure, different terms that are, that are used for this uh, closure where the end echoes the beginning. Okay, and, and, and you have that. And in this case, it's also an interesting wordplay because Arimata is uh, performing two functions. So the whole first chapter has been not about what Shemitah is, not even about when Shemitah starts, but about how I lead into Shemitah, how I build up to Shemitah. That's the first chapter. And that carries on into chapter two. And guess what? What opens chapter two? Are Matai, same thing. Okay, Are Matai opens chapter one. Are Matai cha opens chapter two. And Are Matai Choshin Bisdei Halavan Erev Shvi'it. Until when can I plow? In a white field, a white field means a, uh, a field of grain, okay, a non-tree field, okay, Erev uh, Shvi'it. And here, okay, it's Ad Halecha, until the moisture in the ground is no longer there, until it's dried out, okay. And, okay, and Rabbi Shimon objects, Natata Tarat Kol Echad Bechad Biyado, so you have basically allowed every individual to decide for himself until, until when he can do it. So I want to have a universal date. 
that everyone can know, everyone can identify. I don't want everyone to decide and nobody can do it. So, Allah, according to Rabbi Shimon, another echo of the first chapter, right? So it's clear these two chapters are designed to be read in light of one another. They're dealing with the same topic, but in two different frameworks. One of them, the framework of trees, the other one in the framework of grain fields, okay? But then chapter two takes an interesting, uh, uh, takes an interesting uh, sideline, okay? It talks about other kinds of maintenance that can be done until Rosh Hashanah. Mizablin, fertilizing, Adrin, owing, Mizaklin, Mikarsamin, Mizardin. Okay, these are all different kinds of uh, acts of uh, maintenance, and most of them are designed for preserving. Okay, they're protecting, they're protecting the tree. Most of these are for trees. They're protecting, protecting the tree from damage. So interestingly, we opened with a with the grain field, but we've gone back to trees, okay? But going back to trees, we're now expanding our discussion of what kinds of things can be done, okay, during the sixth year leading up to and into the seventh year. Then we have a section to what year do crops belong? Now this is again a continuation of the sixth year because the question is, we open with Mishnah Vav, Okay, if I'm within 30 days of Rosh Hashanah of the Shemitah year, so then it's already a problem for me to plant new crops. Why? Because then it's too close for comfort. The crops are basically growing during the Shemitah year even though I did the actual act of planting before the Shemitah year, <clears throat> but the main growth is going to be, notice the plants are going to take and are going to start really uh, sprouting and growing during the Shemitah year. So again, I'm extending Shemitah backwards into a period before that, but this time not in acts of preparing the, the land and not in acts of maintenance, but now in acts of planting per se, okay? And from there, there's a discussion of uh, different kinds of plants. What year do they belong to? And, and this, the Mishnah notes, is relevant not only, okay, if you look at Mishnah Zayin, mutarin So this is relevant to the laws of Maser as well. So this is integrating Shemitah with other agricultural laws and other masechtot in Seder Zra'im. Okay, so when I determine uh, what year the produce belongs to as far as Shemitah is concerned, I'm also determining what year it belongs to as far as uh, as far as Ma'asrot are concerned. Okay, and uh, the final Mishnah of, uh, uh, regarding that Talks about Adluin Shikiman Lazera, Im Hikshul, if Nerosh Hashanah, and if Salum, Eochaladam, Mutar the Kaiman Bashmit. So now we're talking about a very special case, talking about Dluin, usually translated as gourds or squash, okay, that, okay, that you are holding on to not to eat them, but for their seeds, because you want to take the seeds and replant them. If the seeds grew hard before Rosh Hashanah and they can't be eaten, then you can preserve them into the Shemitah year. But if not, then you can't preserve them into the Shemitah year. Now, the reason I dwell on this a bit is because Dluin appeared again in the first Mishnah. How do I know? whether the, the earth is still moist, because I see if farmers are still plowing the land to plant, uh, to plant gourds, okay, and other kind, uh, similar kinds of produce, that's my sign that the, that the land is still moist. So the gluim make a recurrence. Now the mikshaot, 
comes the word kishuim, which is an, another kind of a plant. Some think it, it means cucumbers or some other form of squash or something belonging to that family. Now here we have the word hikshu. Hikshu is not the name of a plant. It means to become hard, but it's the same root as kishuim. So again, we have the end of the chapter echoing the beginning. And the term afar lavan appears in this Mishnah, echoing this day lavan from the beginning. Okay, so what, what we've gotten a sense of already is that even though the Mishnah is doing some jumping around, especially in chapter two, we're jumping from topic to topic, okay, but clearly the Mishnah thinks there's an overarching structure, okay, because it, the end of the chapter echoes the beginning of the chapter. Secondly, we see the two chapters are functioning together. In fact, in the Talmud, these two chapters are identified as Shnei Aprakim, the two chapters. And they deal with the topic that in the Talmud is called Tosefet Shvi'it. And that's the opening topic of Tosefet Shvi'it. The opening topic is Tosefet Shvi'it. Now, on one level, you can say that that's logical because what the Mishnah sometimes does, uh, particularly when you're dealing with time-bound mitzvot, is to present a mitzvah chronologically. So instead of first of all explaining what Shemitah is, the Mishnah first of all explains okay, the timetable. And the timetable doesn't start at Shemitah. It starts in the build-up towards Shemitah during the, during the sixth year. Okay, so on, on, on that level, I think, yeah, I, I think what the Mishnah does uh, does make sense. But I, I'd like to um, make one further point, and, and since we're getting towards the end of our hour, so we'll, we'll, we'll make this uh, our closing point, or actually one of two closing points. We'll make a second closing point briefly uh, uh, afterwards. Okay, to understand why Tosefet Shvi'it is such a crucial notion uh, for, you know, for, for the framers of the Mishnah. Okay, now the place where the Mishnah explains what Tosefet Shvi'id is all about is Mishnah Dalit. Remember, that's what I labeled, you know, in the first uh, frame here, the proof text. Okay, so here we have the language, Chenemar becharishu v'akatsir tishbot. That pasuk is mentioned here in Parshat Kitisa. Look at the opening of the pasuk. Sheshet yamim ta'avod uvayom hashvi'i tishbot becharishu v'akatsir tishbot. Okay, now, becharishu v'akatsir tishbot seems clearly to be talking about Shabbat, not about Shemitah. Shemitah, you know, is, 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 is alluded to elsewhere, okay, but not, not in this chapter at all, okay? But let's look at what the Mishnah does with this pasuk. Shenemar becharishu v'katsir tishbot. Ein sarich lomar charish v'katsir shel shvi'it. Okay, charish v'katsir of shvi'it, I know I can't do. That's forbidden labor during the Shemitah year. But we're already assuming we're talking about Shemitah. Why are we assuming we're talking about Shemitah? Presumably because it seems redundant. We already said, Now why emphasize Okay, obviously we have to shovate all the time. Charish and Katsir are two, two agricultural seasons. Okay, obviously I have to rest on Shabbat at any season, including Charish and Katsir. So, uh, this is a drasha of Rabbi Akiva. We know that from other sources. Okay, so, so Rabbi Akiva says, well, we must be talking about Kharish and Katsir of Ashmita, but Kharish and Katsir Ashmita is also superfluous. So, what must we be talking about? Kharish shall Arab Shvi'it shu nichnas ba Shvi'it, the Katsir shall Shvi'it shu yotzei le moza e Shvi'it. Kharish and Katsir represent two extensions of the Shemitah year. Harish extends the Shemitah year backwards in time, 
and Katsir extends the Shemitah year forward. Okay? How does it do so? Because Harish means preparing the land. So if I'm not supposed to plant the land, sow the land during the Shemitah year, so then that means I shouldn't plow the land in the sixth year. Because when I'm plowing the land in the sixth year, that's in preparation for the seventh year. So I've extended the Shemitah backwards in time. I'm beginning already during the sixth year to say, what's the point of plowing the land now during the summer of the sixth year when I'm not going to plant it next year? So there's no point. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so Harish extends the Shemitah year backwards in time. Katsir extends it forwards into the eighth year. How so? Let's say there is Shemitah year produce that I still have in my storehouses during the eighth year. Well, that produce will have the restrictions of Shemitah produce, such as the one we mentioned earlier, that when it's no longer available to the animal in the field, I can't keep it in my cupboard or in my storehouse. Okay, I have to remove it from my storehouse when the animal doesn't have it available. That's even during the eighth year. Okay, and so Harish and Katsir extend the Shemitah in, in, in two directions, backwards and forwards. Now, what is the Mishnah accomplished by doing this? Okay, there are there like to leave you with two ideas about what the Mishnah is, you know, what why this is such a crucial idea. Uh, uh, for the Mishnah, okay? The first idea is that Harish and Katsir really relate to the, the two main sections of Masechet Shvi'it, which correspond to the two main sections of the discussion in the Torah. The discussion in the Torah divides into don't work the land, planting and pruning, and don't gather in the produce. Okay, so those are the two parts of the Torah's discussion. Masechet Shvi'it divides into two similar sections, as we will see. The first section, basically the first five chapters, all talk about don't, uh, not working the land. And then the next, uh, the next four chapters will focus on what to do with the produce, how you go about consuming the produce. So the Mishnah is already signaling that here in Harish and Katsir. Harish is focusing on not working the land and not working the land extends backwards into the sixth year. That's what's relevant to the first two chapters. What's not relevant to the first two chapters, but is already signaling what will happen in the four chapters that open the second half is the Katsir part of it because the katsir part of it will tell you what do I do with the produce, and that in turn extends on into the eighth year. Final idea for this evening, Tosefet Shvi'it. Why is that notion so crucial? So where else do we encounter a notion of Tosefet? Shabbos. Shabbat, Yom Kippur, Chagim, other sanctified times. It's interesting to note, nowhere does the Torah tell us that the seventh year is sacred. The term Kodesh applies to the Yovel year, but it never applies to the Shemitah year. But there is a term that indicates that the year has sanctity, and that is Shabbat. Shabbat Lashem. A year that is devoted to God, so like other times that are devoted to God, Okay, we have margins. Okay, you don't jump into sanctity. Sanctity is something that has to be approached. Okay, and generally speaking, there are twilight zones. Okay, now in Masechet Shabbat as well, you can find, okay, I, I was hoping we would get a chance to look at this more closely, but I'll just mention the first six chapters of Masechet Shabbat are mostly devoted to 
how you go about preparing for Shabbat. And how, as we get nearer and nearer to Shabbat, there are certain kinds of activities from which you should refrain because, okay, that will already get you dangerously close to doing work on Shabbat. So resting on Shabbat doesn't start on Shabbat. Resting on Shabbat starts on Erev Shabbat. And by the same token, for the land to rest, now that's the person. When the person rests on Shabbat, he has to begin preparing himself for that rest on Erev Shabbat. And what, our, what the first two chapters of Masechet Shmi'it tell us about is that when we are preparing, okay, when, when we are approaching the Shemitah year, when the land is supposed to rest, so as we approach that year, we have to already begin letting the land rest. We have to take certain activities, okay, that are designed for the year, for, for, for the seventh year, in other words, to foster a growth of the land in the seventh year and refrain from those already during the sixth year. And that starts preparing the land for its rest already during the sixth year. And by the same token, we don't just jump from the sanctity of the Shemitah year into the eighth year, but we continue some of the Shemitah year into the eighth year. The produce of the Shemitah year continues to be treated in a special fashion even during the even during the eighth year. Okay, we'll close with that for this evening. Thank you all. Okay, and uh, okay, I'll see you next week. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you so much, um, Rabbi uh, Wolfish, uh, for this interesting uh, first session. I'm looking forward to uh, next week. And thank you, everyone who uh, joined us today here on Zoom, on Facebook, and Andresha Live as well. Uh, we have another class uh, going live uh, again tomorrow evening, Tuesday at 8 p.m. Uh, it's a class on uh, covenantal commandment, the sabbatical year in the Bible with Rabbi Silver. That's again tomorrow, uh, Tuesday at 8 p.m. And in addition, you can always uh, find information about uh, what class offerings we have at any time uh, on our website, www.com drisha.org slash classes. And you can watch classes live at www.drisha.org slash live. Thank you again uh, for this opportunity to learn with you, uh, Rabbi Wolfish. And thanks again, everyone who attended. We hope to see you soon at one of our uh, upcoming classes here at Drisha. And happy Hanukkah, Chag Sameach.